Find that bar of chocolate you've been hiding. It's time to unwrap this week's Cocoa News. World Cocoa Bean Stocks Rose in 2020-21, ICCO Reports The International Cocoa Organization Expert Working Group on Stocks, EWGS, conducted their annual meeting to review global cocoa bean stocks on January 27, 2022. The ICCO conducts a survey each year on cocoa bean stocks held in warehouses and an assessment of global cocoa bean stock levels. The meetings, which began in 2000, aim to increase transparency in the cocoa market. The recent survey results indicate that stock levels have risen in the past season. Total identifiable stocks are currently at 1.561 million tons, up by 403,000 tons from last year. They note, however, that this figure includes 199,000 tons from Southeast Asia, which did not report in the previous year. Based on the available statistics, the ICCO gave a stock estimate of 1.924 million tons of cocoa at the close of the 2020-21 season. However, the EWGS has found that the true figure is estimated to be 1.764 million tons, about 160,000 tons less than expected. The disparity is believed to be partly due to a lack of stock data from important producing countries. As a result of the survey's findings, the ICCO has stated that they may revise their surplus supply estimate, currently 212,000 tons, in their upcoming report due at the end of February 2022. Almost all cocoa-growing regions in Côte d'Ivoire haven't seen rain for the second consecutive week, raising concerns about the quality of the country's beans. In their newsletter, however, Climate 42 cites the hydric resistance that was built up with the earlier rains as a cause for optimism. Unfortunately, farmers and observers agree that the April-September mid-crop is likely to be affected, and most are lowering projections. Farmer reports say the Harmattan wind, which blows down from the Sahara every year, was mild last week, and there are reasons to believe the weather will be cooler in February. Last week in Côte d'Ivoire, the average temperature was between 24.5 and 27.9 degrees Celsius. Blommer Chocolate Company announces new R&D Applications Lab in Chicago. The largest cocoa processor and ingredient chocolate supplier in North America, Blommer Chocolate Company, has just announced the opening of their new R&D Applications Lab. The lab, located in downtown Chicago, was designed to be a functional and creative space where the company can get together with its customers to brainstorm and test new ideas. We are looking forward to hosting customers. The new lab has been thoughtfully designed to be a functional workspace for the team with a welcoming atmosphere for collaborating with customers, said Marie Lowen, R&D Corporate Manager, Applications. There are four sections that make up Blommer's new location. 1. The Chocolate and Kitchen Demonstration Area. The centerpiece of the new lab. A temperature and humidity-controlled environment, flexibly set up for training and demonstrations, as well as small-scale chocolate work. 2. Hot Kitchen. A space for bakery and beverage work, separate from the chocolate work. Includes small-scale bakery facilities and ice cream freezer. 3. Ideation Space. A creative space to come together and brainstorm new ideas. 4. 
Central Corridor. A space divided into separate zones and workstations to host small meetings and sensory evaluations. The move aligns with the company's R&D vision which says, through thoughtful and proactive collaboration, we will deliver advanced innovation, impactful technical support, and generate meaningful, creative solutions to help unlock the full potential of our customers. The new lab's flexible design allows customers to directly engage with the company, either virtually or in person, and is expected to begin hosting people as early as February. The space will also serve as the new workplace for the Blommer R&D applications team. We were interested in exploring the virtual option further, but couldn't find any additional information about it at the present time. Nestle to pay cocoa farmers to keep children in school. Nestle has announced plans to combat child labor in cocoa farming across Ghana and Côte d'Ivoire, where the company sources most of its cocoa. The food group intends to incentivize cocoa farmers to send their children to school instead of farms. This will be accomplished by paying farmers cash directly, on top of the Living Income Differential, LID, and premiums for certified cocoa, which meets the Rainforest Alliance Sustainable Agriculture Standard. The change can be seen as part of Nestle's objective to have a fully transparent and traceable supply chain by 2025. In addition, the company reportedly plans to increase sustainable cocoa spending to 1.3 billion Swiss francs or $1.41 billion annually by 2030, tripling its current amount. The move comes when consumer demand for sustainable and ethical sourcing is on the rise, and chocolate makers are faced with increased pressure to be transparent about how and where they source their cocoa. Reuters cited a University of Chicago survey, which reported a staggering 45% of children from agricultural households in cocoa-growing areas of Ghana and Côte d'Ivoire were engaged in child labor. We tried to verify how this number was reached with the University of Chicago, but were unable to access the original report. Various categories of child labor can be used, including benign activities, such as those involved in helping the family, as well as the more sinister indentured labor. Nestle Chief Executive Officer Mark Schneider said, Nestle's new initiative focuses on the root causes for child labor and the living income gap farmers and their families face. The topic of child labor in cocoa farming is hugely controversial, however, and more complex than it might appear. For example, if a child helped with farm work outside of school time, it would not be considered child labor by the International Labor Organization. However, the same work done by a child during school hours may be evaluated differently. A source close to the production told Bar Talks of children who were not attending school because they did not have enough money for school meals. Additionally, there are other factors such as unpredictable climate risks, lack of educational facilities, and others that may not be as easily addressed with more money. Nestle's initiative will be interesting to watch, but we are supportive of the effort regardless. Cote d'Ivoire's Prime Minister, Patrick Ochi welcomed the new initiative on behalf of his country, saying that we must at all costs and by all means deal with the root cause of the ills, on which we all agree, which is the income of the farming population. The introduction of the LID, which attempted to tackle the issue of low farmer income, has thus far yielded mixed results, according to Achi. To qualify for the payments, farmers must meet certain criteria. Children have to go to school, shade trees have to be planted, cocoa trees have to be pruned, and other crops and livestock must be raised to supplement their income. 
This process will be monitored by the Sustainable Trade Initiative, along with other third parties, to ensure that these rules are followed. A recent article by McKeel Hendricks identified another problem with linking payments to children who are registered in school, namely, that there are a large number of children who do not have birth certificates and therefore are not officially recognized in school. While they may be allowed to attend, once they reach the age of 12, they must take exams, which is not possible without a birth certificate. Therefore this entire group of children will be excluded from the Nestle plan, which is a shame. Nestle will pay farmers' families directly, independent of the amount of cocoa they produce, under the new program, which differs from the Living Income Differential, LID. This is hoped to have the effect of discouraging intentional overproduction. Once eligible, farmers will be paid up to 500 Swiss francs a year, directly via mobile transfer. Speaking with Reuters in an interview, Nestle's head of operations, Magdi Badotto said the initiative would be a game-changer on the road to reducing the risk of child labor. Badotto also said that the extra payment represented a 20-25% to 25% increase on a farmer's average annual income. After two years, the amount will be sustained at 250 Swiss francs annually and offered to all of Nestle's 160,000 cocoa farmers by 2030. This increase in pay is eventually expected to find its way to the food company's price tags, as Bad Auto admits, over time, there might be an increased price for some of the products, definitely. However, he remains confident that consumers will be willing to pay extra for more responsible business practices. A new study finds flaws in chocolate companies' environmental approach. A new study by Professor Sean Kennedy of the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, argues that the existing strategies used by chocolate companies that are designed to improve farmer livelihoods could be having the opposite effect. This important study perhaps takes a while to warm to the point, but it presents a solid foundation to support the author's argument that the chocolate companies have designed their production and supply chain model in a way that is best for the business but may unintentionally be harming the farmer. The paper uses cocoa production in Indonesia, and the working relationship of Mars to illustrate the point. I don't believe the intention is to identify Mars as the sole culprit, but rather to be representative of the industry approach. You might think that a business strategy that helps increase a farmer's yield, improves traceability, and is good for the environment, will also benefit the farmer. However, in his paper, Professor Kennedy argues that this may not, in fact, be the case. Business natural inclination is to streamline, organize and squeeze profits through optimizing processes. So, it's not surprising that Mars organized their efforts in Indonesia into a rational structure, consolidating the work of several companies into one, after productivity declined in the 2000s. The report states, At the heart of this approach are two strategies, standardization and the creation of financial dependencies, which together work to fix labor and capital in space, in the face of challenges heightened by climatic disruption. During this process, however, Mars did something else, and it was probably a conscious decision. To reduce their risk exposure to the uncertainty of production, they decoupled them from the upstream activities, leaving the farmer with the risk, without offering them any compensating upside. Mars then, driven by the market's demand for climate-conscious chocolate, created a series of initiatives designed to be environmentally friendly, but which again has potential for negative consequences for the farmers. The report states, Climate Smart Cocoa, 
for example, aims to transform and reorient farming systems to decrease greenhouse gas emissions, boost adaptive capacity, and improve productivity while supporting incomes. As with earlier cocoa intensification initiatives, however, supporting commodity production rather than livelihoods might reinforce uneven power relations between smallholders and chocolate manufacturers, rather than creating the types of diversified and increasingly mobile livelihood opportunities increasingly necessary under climate change. What is meant by an uneven power relationship? We believe Kennedy is making the point that when you have a business partnership in which one partner has most of the power and the other has very little, the outcomes tend to be better for the first and not as good for the weaker party. In practice for farmers, this means companies like Mars can dictate the terms and in some ways, whether by accident or by design, trap the weaker parties into an inflexible position whereby they must continue even if it's not in their best interests. For example, a farmer working with Mars may need to participate in their schemes designed to improve production with good agricultural practices, GAP. They might need to invest thousands of dollars in upgraded equipment and fertilizers. That money can be lent to them at low rates and repaid out of the additional profits they are expected to make. While that sounds okay, what happens if the market price for cocoa falls? The farmer absorbs that risk, while their commitments to repay the debt remain. Using good agricultural practices on the farmer's existing land may be a positive step for the environment, by reducing the need to clear new areas and contribute to deforestation. However, commitments to fixed capital locations may not be good for the farmer if rainfall patterns and temperatures change in that location. I reviewed Mars' own research materials. They conducted their own study in 2018 via their Farmer Income Lab website. I've copied the table into our blog article at Bar Talks, which summarizes a key part of their findings. The report, What Works to Increase Smallholder Farmers' Income 2018, from the Farmer Income Lab website states, What are the most effective actions that lead buyers can take to enable smallholder farmers in global supply chains to meaningfully increase their incomes? In the report, the finding related to pricing arrangements was particularly interesting, which I admit was the first solution I thought of. Yet, it was at the bottom of the table for effectiveness. Professor Kennedy gives an opinion on why the chocolate companies have created their own sustainability, responsibly sourced programs. We were delighted to read this, which supports the same assertions that we have made at Bar Talks. They say, In 2010, Mars committed to sourcing 100% of its beans from third-party certified suppliers by 2020. As with the success program, the commitment to third-party certification enabled Mars to exert arm's-length influence over smallholder production practices without assuming the risks of complete vertical integration. Third-party certification positioned Mars to respond to growing consumer demands for certified cocoa, yet prohibitions on the use of chemical pesticides and fertilizers put the commitment at odds with the company's productivity objectives. In 2018, Mars shifted its reliance on third-party certification to 100% responsibly sourced and traceable cocoa by 2025, Mars Wrigley 2020. Whereas production standards under the previous commitment were defined by third parties, responsibly sourced was defined internally, allowing Mars to promote and monitor intensive production practices that would otherwise contravene most third-party certification program requirements. I am suspicious of chocolate companies' sustainability programs, 
as it allows them to claim 100% sustainable sourcing while shadow controlling the organization responsible for policing them. I'm not sure if the paper produces more questions than answers, but understanding the problem is key to finding a solution. Thanks for listening to this week's Coco Newscast. You can also catch our other podcasts, including the Coffee Newscast and the popular Bean Talks with Nick and Max, which goes out every Monday. Stay safe and I'll see you all next week.